0: her body flat against the closed door. She was all of 18 and I was both too old and too young to be interested in her. Nevertheless, I didn't want her to know about the dandruff. Thought I'd wash my hands. Who's that, Nick Nog? Prue, I understand Peck and Peck has a special on riding crops this week. Why don't you run on over? I didn't know you went out with Nick Nogs, David. I began to wash my hands. Prue sat on the edge of the tub and turned on the faucet, just enough to cause a trickle. I wondered whether this was supposed to have a sexual connotation. Sometimes it was hard to tell about those things. I got a letter from my brother, she said. He's manning an M79 grenade launcher. He's in one of the roughest battle zones. He says every square inch of land is fiercely contested. You should read his letters, David. They're really tremendous." war was on television every night, but we all went to the movies. Soon, most of the movies began to look alike, and we went into dim rooms and turned on or off or watched others turn on or off or burned joss sticks and listened to tapes of near silence. I brought my 16-millimeter camera along. It was a witty toy, and everyone was delighted. He says you can't tell the friendlies from the hostels. Who? I said. I hate your filthy rotten guts, Prue said. Quincy tells me you've got a new boyfriend, Prue, Texas A&M, some kind of junior cadet. Quincy tells me you met him through a computer dating system. That lying bastard? Your own cousin, Prue. You've got dandruff, she said. I can see it on your jacket, dandruff. Quincy was in rare form, telling a series of jokes about Polish janitors, Negro ministers, Jews in concentration camps, and Italian women with hairy legs. He battered his audience with shock and insult, challenging people to object. Of course, we were choking with laughter, trying to outdo each other in showing how enlightened we were. It was meant to be a liberating ethnic experience. If you were offended by such jokes in general or sensitive to particular ones which slurred your own race or ancestry, you were not ready to be accepted into the mainstream. B.G. Haynes, who was a professional model and one of the most beautiful women I've ever known, seemed to be enjoying Quincy's routine. She was one of four black people in the room, and the only American among them, and she apparently felt it was her diplomatic duty to laugh louder than anyone at Quincy's most vicious color jokes. She almost crumpled to the floor laughing, and I was sure I detected a convulsive broken sob at the crest of every laugh. She needed more practice, I suppose. All evening, in fact, she had been smiling at everyone who approached and responding with grace notes to all the social insight directed her way by the scholars in the room. It was confusing. Finally, I reminded her that we were supposed to be polite to her, not the reverse. Then I added a brief lecture on the responsibility she had toward her people. She speared a passing hors d'oeuvre and became elegant again. It was almost over. A few people had already left It was just a cocktail party, and small groups were forming for dinner. In a corner of the room, Quincy's wife was doing a modified cocktail version of what we referred to as her karate striptease, a dance she said she had learned on their trip to the Orient. In a little while, I would ask B.G. where she wanted to eat. She would suggest that I decide. We would go to a small French restaurant way over on the west side, on the rim of no man's land, where the wind blows cold off the river and the low, bleak tenements breathe decay, and where at this time of year there is a sense of total emptiness, of a place that has been abandoned before the boots of war. No one could live there but torn cats and children with transparent bellies, and those distant lights, crackling over Times Square, belong to another city in another age. BG would order the frog's legs. I would try to impress her by speaking French to the waiter, with the warmth and intimacy of a hero of the resistance greeting an old comrade in arms. The waiter would despise me, and BG would see through my bluff. There would be nothing to do but finish the evening with one of those chain-smoking conversations about death, youth, and anxiety. I remembered that I no longer smoked. Where would you like to eat? I said. But she didn't hear me. She was talking to a man named Carter Hemmings. Although Carter was thirty-two years old, or two years older than myself, He was one of my subordinates at the network. I was always very conscious of the ages of men with whom I worked. What I feared most at the network were younger men who might advance to positions higher than mine.